0: to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show with David Costa. Bob, oh, Mo, oh, Updated wind on 2 soldiers, five. We are on the airfield and airspace. You are cleared for takeoff. Have a good one. Thanks, Mo. Cleared for takeoff. Check your parker brake off. Check your trim set. Check your nozzle steering arm maneuver. it.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, David Costa, the Renegade Aviator. Glad to be here with you again each and every week. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to my podcast that can be found on SoundCloud. Search Renegade Aviator on SoundCloud. That's Renegade AV, the number 8R, all smashed together. Listen on SoundCloud. You can hear all of our shows. So let me get started right away with the introduction of this week's guest, This week, a guy with his finger on the pulse of general aviation. Now, hold on. You don't need to be a pilot to listen to this show. As a matter of fact, most of our fans and listeners are not pilots. Aviation is something for almost everyone, and your local community airport is valuable to your local economy. So I encourage you to stay right where you are and listen to this week's interview with Mr. Tom Haynes. Tom is the editor-in-chief, associate producer, and senior VP of media for the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. Tom Haines oversees the publication of the AOPA Pilot Magazine, the world's largest aviation magazine, AOPA's airport directory. What else? Oh, the flight training magazine a monthly magazine for student pilots and flight instructors, the weekly AOPA e-pilot electronic newsletter, AOPA Online and four other websites, and the association's video-on-demand channel, AOPA Live. Busy guy. Hell, I just tell stories, fly jets, and host a radio show. Tom, welcome to the Renegade Aviator radio show. Glad to have you.
2: Thank you, David. It's great to be with you. Uh, Looking forward to a good conversation.
1: Hey, real quick, Tom, give our audience a 30,000-foot overview of your role with the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association because it's more than what your title might suggest.
2: Sure. So I'm the big title, is Senior Vice President of Media Communications and Outreach, but basically what that means is that here at AOPA, Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. I manage all of our media properties, which we have two monthly magazines. We've got multiple websites, video channel, and a lot of email newsletters, that sort of thing, all designed to help pilots be better pilots and to learn more about aviation and how to use their general aviation airplanes. We also manage our outreach. So if you see AOPA at Oshkosh and and Sun and Fun and our regional fly-ins and some of the other big air shows around the country, That's my team at work. And then uh, also communications, kind of getting the advocacy messaging out there because AOPA does a lot of advocacy on behalf of general aviation. And uh, my team kind of is the one that takes all that advocacy stuff that happens at the state level and at the federal level and kind of puts it out in stories, story format through our channels to help pilots and the general public understand what's happening with general aviation.
1: Okay, Tom, maybe I should back up a little bit. The Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association um, our listeners and fans are not just pilots. They come from a wide demographic. Why or how does AOPA offer something for the public at large, not just for pilots and aircraft owners?
2: So AOPA has been around for 80 years. In fact, we just celebrated our 80th anniversary on uh, May 15th, doing this a long time. And the scope of the organization in the past has always been around aircraft owners and pilots and thus the name. However. In recent years, a couple of years actually, the organization has really branched out and starting to do a lot more to be more effective in inviting the general public and people with an interest in aviation into the community, starting with our You Can Fly program, which is all about helping people understand what general aviation is and those who are in it get better at what they do. For example, we've got an aviation high school STEM curriculum that's going to be ultimately for grades 9 through 12. It is free to any high school in the country that wants it, and uh, we provide a lot of support uh, with the curriculum. And we currently have more than 2,000 students across the country today, Uh, using this curriculum in ninth grade. The 10th grade is uh, in beta test and will be complete for this year's ninth graders when they get to 10th grade next year. And then the 11th grade and 12th grade will be rolled out in subsequent years so that these today's ninth graders will have four years of curriculum about aviation, either as a, a pilot or as a drone pilot. And it's really designed to expose kids to All of the interesting things about aviation, some of them may elect to choose a career path that's related to aviation, and if they do, this is a great time to be involved in aviation. There's a shortage of pilots, mechanics, avionics technicians, and it's just a really good time to be looking for a job in aviation. So we believe we can inspire some kids to pay attention to aviation and learn about the opportunities, but even if they don't choose a path, it's a great way to to get people aware of uh, what... Airplanes are all about and what aviation's all about. But another place that we're doing that a lot is with our regional fly-ins. Great place for people to come out to the airport, learn about aviation. We just had our AOPA regional fly-in here at Frederick, Maryland, where our headquarters is back on May 10th and 11th, and part of a celebration of our 80th anniversary, but also in anticipation of the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion in Europe. And we had um, five DC-3s or C-47s. And those are the airplanes that led the paratrooper invasion of Europe on June 6th, actually starting on June 5th in 1944. And of course, we all know that was the beginning of the end of World War II, when the United States and the British and Canadians and Australians and everybody invaded uh, through Normandy in France and began to turn around the war. But the really amazing thing is, we're talking about exposing the public to aviation and give them an opportunity to see what airplanes are all about. We had these DC-3s here. They did flyovers. We had parachuters uh, jumping out of them uh, over the airport with period World War II uniforms on and using the round parachutes from World War II. They landed, they shut the airplanes down, dropped the fences, and allowed the public to go out and get up close to these 75-year-old airplanes, sell them 76, 77 years old, and talk to the pilots, talk to the parachutists, and it was remarkable to see the families, the kids, line up to get close to these old airplanes and talk to the pilots about what it's like to fly them, and in some cases, interact with some guys who had actually been there because we did have some uh, folks who had actually participated in that event uh, 75 years ago. So, that's just some of the things that we're doing these days to help people understand more about general aviation and what the opportunities are.
1: Okay. And before we get all wound up in conversation, how would any fan of my show learn more about the benefits and services of AOPA? Just give us a quick overview.
2: AOPA.org org is our website. We've got a ton of material on there. The you can fly segment of AOPA is available from there. Also, we have a learn to fly section on our website where you can learn about Or to find a flight school, for example, if you have an interest in maybe learning to fly or getting an introductory flight, you go to the uh, learn to fly section at AOPA.org. You can enter a zip code and uh, it'll find the nearest flight school for you. And so you can go out to the airport and get a flight and learn what it's like to uh, pilot an airplane by yourself, which is what I did at 15 years old. Um wasn't even old enough to solo an airplane when I happened to get a chance to go flying in an airplane and it uh, definitely definitely turned my life around. I soloed at 16 and got my certificate at 17 and uh, then was off to the races.
1: Okay, we'll be right back. First segment went quick. We have four more segments to go and you know Tom was mentioning the uh, DC3 trip over to Europe. Um, I've got at least one good friend that flies an absolutely beautiful version, actually a fully restored DC-3 in full Pan Am regalia. So that's coming up on a future show. We're going to interview those guys and gals that were involved in that event out to uh, Europe, crossing the Atlantic in an old DC-3, an aircraft I fell in love with. I flew one of their shows for years with an organization called Dream Flight. But um, we'll be back after these messages with Mr. Tom Haynes of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. There's a lot more stuff coming, stuff that's going to benefit you in your journey towards excellence. And hopefully that includes aviation. David Costa, Renegade Aviator.
0: Go higher. Go higher. Host of the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, David Costa.
1: Welcome back, David Costa, Renegade Aviator, 888-366-5256. We just added air show jet number two to our stable. You might ask, why do I need two jets? And actually, I don't need two jets. I need three jets. So we're looking for number three. In this business, like any business, doing what you say you're going to do means more than many of us realize, myself included. So here's what I learned from last air show season. If I'm going to fly air shows with our TS-11 Iskra, which is a Polish-built advanced military jet trainer, one jet was not going to allow me to keep my promises. So we bought another one. Then we needed number three, because we decided to modify the TS-11 escrow with more power. Loud and fast is the key to a cool airshow performance. So now we're starting on a project to remove the Polish jet engine and replace it with an American engine used in other military aircraft in order to reduce weight and increase thrust. Two things that make me smile. Less weight, more thrust. Think about it.
0: Both pilots can you fly this plane and land it surely you can't be serious i am serious and don't call me Shirley.
1: anyway more with tom haynes of the aircraft owners and pilots association and in our first segment we talked about tom's numerous roles and about the organization and now tom the local airport many people wrongly believe that the airport The local airport is simply a place where rich guys keep fancy toys, but the local airport is such an asset to the local community. Help us understand this a little bit better.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, we have remarkable assets in the United States, unlike any place else in the world. We have some 5,000 general aviation airports around the country and many more times that of of uh, private airport sea lanes where people can land seaplanes. And, you know, the airlines only serve about, depending on which decade you're talking about, 300 or 400 airports across the country of the 5,000 or 5,200 or so airports that are out there. So the airlines are really only a small part of the aviation infrastructure in this country, even though that's the one that most people are familiar with. We have all these other wonderful general aviation facilities around the country serving as basically uh, on and off ramps to the nation's air transportation system. Think of it as on and off ramps, like a, on an interstate. And think of all the small towns across the country, particularly in the Midwest, where their access to high-speed transportation uh, ground tr- is through the interstates, right? And that's kind of what our little general aviation airports are to the aviation infrastructure. And so for smaller towns in particular, the general aviation airport is often a means by which uh, they get medical transport. And also where companies who are looking to build factories in places where the cost of living is more affordable, but we still have made, you know really great educated uh, people and workers available and lower cost of living. And so companies are looking for places to build factories and oftentimes they want easy access from headquarters or their sales offices. And so a general aviation airport can be an important motivator for them to choose a particular community. And it's also a place for we're training the next generation of uh, pilots, airline pilots in particular, as I said earlier, a huge shortage of pilots. And so small general aviation airports are typically the places where pilots are learning to fly in the United States. It's unlike Europe, where a lot of European airlines, they sort of have what's called ab initio training, where they sort of basically choose people to be pilots and kind of run them through their own programs. Interestingly, many of those programs are based in the United States because flying is less expensive here than most other parts of the world. Most uh, GA pilots who become airline pilots, come up through a very basic system in the United States, of so local flight schools at small general aviation airports, and they migrate up, uh, like I did, to other ratings, and, and perhaps as you did too, Dave.
1: It starts even with something as simple as the local airport restaurant, right? I mean, that's where most people come into contact nowadays, that local restaurant and people that own businesses. I've owned businesses uh, throughout my career. And, you know, we talk about corporate or commercial aviation that people think about corporate jets and there's organizations for corporate jets, but there's also quite a few entrepreneurs, small business owners, people that just want to go from point A to point B, they really utilize those local assets in the local communities.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, We see people flying light airplanes, Cessna 182s, four place piston single engine airplanes, bonanzas like me. I've, I've got a bonanza, I use it for business transportation all the time, going from airports all up and down the East Coast and as far as the Midwest from here in Maryland where we're located. And it's just a, a really convenient way to get to smaller towns, bypass major airline hubs, which they have a place, but they're not always the most convenient way to get from point A to B. And I can go out with my, even my little piston airplane and make a couple of stops during a day and be back home that evening and uh, save hotel nights and, and that sort of thing. And we're talking about general aviation airports. There's a really interesting future ahead for generalization airports. We at AOPA believe, and have been kind of promoting this idea just recently, particularly our urban airports, so the general aviation airports around the major metropolitan areas and most major metropolitan areas around the country are ringed by general aviation airports. And some of them have been threatened by encroachment of poor land use planning, where communities are building houses too close, and that sort of thing. We've been active in that for years, trying to prevent that from happening. But part of the reason we are is because we're looking to the future. When you see all these, you know, what flying cars or vertical takeoff and landing craft that everybody is talking about that we're uh, going to be seeing in the some say near future. I'm guessing it's a little bit further away, but let's go it over the next five to ten years. We start to see some of these unusual vehicles being used for urban transport. Our general aviation airports that are already in place around these urban areas are great essential infrastructure that can make that future happen. So somebody who lives near a general aviation airport around, say, L.A., for example, and today maybe they see the airport as kind of a nuisance. Maybe they think it's too noisy. They may, in fact, find that that airport becomes a critical part of their commute in the future, as we get vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, because these airports have open space, which is really necessary for moving aircraft like this around. It's already got ground parking in place. It's got plenty of power to recharge what appears to be an electric future for these types of aircraft. And so these are generation airports around urban areas are real gems that we need to protect because if we want that vision of a much more convenient way to get to work and move around urban areas as the ground infrastructure gets too clogged up, these airports are uh, a part of that uh, infrastructure for the future.
1: As an old time pilot here, I never even thought of that, what you just said right there. Aviation is changing as much as some of us would hate to admit the steely-eyed aviator of days past, right, is now going to be an iPhone app and a uh, a quadcopter taking you downtown Uh L.A. So, no, that is leading edge and and change is good, right? No matter how much we resist change, I think it opens up more opportunity for aviation, although it may look different, hopefully better. But, you know, I'm an old grouchy guy anyway. (laughs) Outstanding. Tom, stay with us. We got two more segments with Tom Haynes of the AOPA. And in the next segment, I'd like to talk a little bit about demographics of pilots uh, today. So we'll be right back. Steve Costa, Renegade Aviator.
0: Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay.
1: Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly
0: away. Come fly
1: with me, let's float down to... Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator, segment three of our show. Welcome back. 888-366-5256. I get asked a lot of questions, and I hear a lot of excuses when it comes to aviation. I hear, I want to be a pilot, but, but, I hate that word. I was going to, but too young, too old, too cool, not cool enough, not enough money, not enough time, not the right gender, glass ceiling, not smart enough or too smart for that. Tom, what is the demographic of the modern pilot?
2: Yeah, well, that's interesting because uh, you know, the modern pilot is anything from a 14-year-old who's flying a glider because you can solo a glider At 14, up to, you know, the octogenarians, there's a group called the UFOs, United Flying Octogenarians, so 80-year-olds plus still out there flying, and we know there's some even older than that. I was at a fly-in just this past weekend, and there was a discussion seminar about flying clubs, and uh, there was a woman in the back row, and she finally put her hand up, and she said, you know, I'd really like to, to get involved in aviation, and I think maybe getting involved in a flying club would be right for me. Is is because I, I want to learn to fly, but I think I'm too old. I'm 76 years old, and everybody in the room head spun around. They're like, "No way! I mean, that is not too old. It's an incredible achievement for anybody of any age to go out and fly an airplane, you know, by yourself." Most people think of student pilots somehow as being, you know, young people, maybe in their 20s, and certainly that happens a lot or even teenagers like I was, but actually the average age of student pilot is about 43 years old. And so it's often people who have always wanted to do it, but they got, you know, maybe started a career and then family came along. And so it's not until they're in their 40s when maybe the the kids are a little bit older and maybe a little bit more independent. Maybe you've got uh, the careers doing pretty well. You've got a little extra money by the time you're in your 40s. And so people often start much later than I think most people believe. The other situation we see a lot is where people do learn to fly relatively young, but then college and career and family sort of takes up a lot of time and money. And so they drift away. And so we have a program called Rusty Pilots, where we put these seminars on around the country. We also have an online version at AOPA.org as part of our You Can Fly program, where we have this uh, about a three-hour course. You can uh, go through that either in our live seminars or on the website, and once you've done that, you're all prepared – To go take a flight review with a flight instructor, which we all have to do every couple of years anyhow, and get back in the air. And we see that happen a lot for people who have been a pilot, kind of drifted away for one reason or another, and now they're coming back. And we've seen more than 6,000 pilots over the last three years get back into aviation through our Rusty Pilots program. Really rewarding to help people kind of get back in the dream, or in the case of student pilots, realize their dream to fly an
1: airplane. Anything you want to do worthwhile in life has a series of simple steps. Dreams, passions, and goals are nothing unless you take action. And this is why I focus on air shows. Aviation demonstrates all of that. Dreams, passions, and goals. But aviation also demands excellence and responsibility. Air shows magnify that and draw people from a vast cross section of our community. When you see others achieving great things and demonstrating great things, it gives you the power to do what you want to do. Back after a few messages from our sponsors. In the meantime, aopa.org. Call my office, 888-366-5256, if I can help you get started on your own unique path forward. David Costa, Renegade Aviator. I like to
0: sit way in the back, way in the back. Except for one thing, all the good meals run out, you know. You're poking your head out from row 199. The flight attendants are this big. You can hear the good meals getting snagged. We have a turkey sandwich, a chicken quesadilla, and a cold fish head. I'm just oh. wonder what I'm gonna get. So when they get to the back of the plane, they have to do that flight attendant psychology game and pretend like the good stuff never even existed. It, it, it never even was. Would you like a nice cold fish head? They're frozen solid. Frozen head of fish, the eyeball's in there and the skeleton's coming out. It comes with a turnip and a spork. I was wishing you'd have one of them left wishing upon a star. Questions, comments, suggestions, or recommendations? Call the Renegade Aviator at 888-366-5256 anytime and leave us a message. Once I get... the host of the Renegade Aviator radio show, David Costa.
1: We're back. Segment four, Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator. The uh, future of aviation is not the same one that I grew up with. It probably isn't the same as the one you grew up with. Aviation is changing. The future of aviation includes all of us. Who will be the next generation of pilots? Who will preserve the legacy of older aircraft? One thing I hear from people is that aviation is expensive and certainly it can be, no BS here, but it need not be that way. There is an entry point that makes sense for almost any budget. Tom, in my opinion, if you can afford other pastimes, other hobbies, you can afford to fly aircraft, am I off base? Can people really afford to fly without going broke?
2: You sure can, you know, we have an incredible fleet of legacy airplanes. You know, In some ways, it's kind of a, a good news, bad news thing, right? The average age of a general aviation airplane is 40 couple years old. And so you think that's really old when we think of cars in particular. It's ancient, right? But airplanes are remarkable, built to last. And so we do have things like old 172s out there that are still in great flying shape. And what's really interesting over the last few years is the new generation of avionics or electronics for the airplanes, navigation systems, and that sort of thing that have been become available at much lower costs. AOPA has worked hard on this idea of working with the FAA and with manufacturers to generate and bring to the market. What we call non-TSO avionics. Basically, it's a new generation of avionics that meet a, that are kind of certified in a different way than the traditional paths we've used in the past, and so it brings mostly out of the experimental aircraft market some really capable avionics systems and navigation, big moving map displays, traffic information, weather information into the cockpit at much more affordable prices than what we saw just a few years ago. And so these are easily installed into these legacy airplanes. So you end up with a very capable airplane with a lot of utility, a lot of reliability, more so than the older equipment at what is a really pretty affordable price, particularly if you don't, feel that you need to hold, own the whole airplane. Flying clubs is something that AOPA has been promoting a lot, again, as part of our You Can Fly program. And so uh, we've helped start about 114 flying clubs over the last three years. But we have a network of well over 1,000 flying clubs that you can access from our website, aopa.org. Go to you can Fly or go to the flying club the part of you can fly. And again, like with our flight school finder, we have a flying club finder put in your zip code and we'll show you a map and give you details about the flying clubs that are around you. And the really interesting thing about flying clubs is that they really give you a a much more affordable way to get into aviation because you don't need to own the whole airplane. You can own a share of it and and some of them are structured so you're actually owning a share. In other cases, you're basically buying time at a reduced price on an hourly basis But not only do you get access to a particular airplane, lots of flying clubs have multiple types of airplanes. So if you want to go do aerobatics, they might have an aerobatic airplane. If you want a light trainer because you're learning to fly, they might have that. They might have a traveling airplane that you can take off for long weekends or even a week with your family and go on trips somewhere and do it very affordably. But you also insert yourself then into a community of pilots who own are also participants in the clubs, many times they're bringing their families out, so it becomes a family experience. And also the important thing is from a safety culture standpoint, we have a lot of training materials that we provide to flying club organizers to use in, say, monthly training programs uh, to help pilots be safer. And it really helps new pilots coming into the system get engulfed into this safety culture that helps everybody fly better and fly more and fly
1: more cost-effectively. Most of the pilots I know are members of the AOPA. The low membership fee is absolutely worth it when you see what is offered to members. Go to AOPA.org and take a look. Easy to remember, AOPA.org and take a look. All these cool outreach programs, STEM education, this gets funded by your membership. That alone is worth the price of the membership, isn't it, Tom?
2: Yeah, well, thanks for that. And just a bit of a correction there. Actually, all the things I was talking about under You Can Fly are actually funded only by donations. Member dues we use to run the organization, to create our magazines, to do all of our advocacy work in Washington, and to provide all the other services. Our 800 line, when you call and ask technical questions, the people answering those phones, that's all funded by the dues. So We certainly need people to be a member of AOPA in order to help us be effective in those areas. But the You Can Fly things are actually are funded by donations, which is another critical thing. And we actually have a challenge right now from the Ray Foundation. And, and James Ray was an incredible guy who was inspired by aviation When during World War II. He learned to fly right after the war. It changed his life. He came from a very poor family, and he went on to be a very wealthy individual. So he's given us a challenge this year to raise $2 million. And if we can raise $2 million for the You Can Fly programs, his foundation will match it with $2 more million. So it's basically double your money. So it will be $4 million to help run these programs. And I bring that up partly not only because we would welcome people funding that program through AOPAfoundation.org slash challenge, but also because James Ray was such an inspiration to so many people, as I said, who he felt that learning to fly changes people. And I've seen that myself. I've experienced it myself. And it really does give you a whole new perspective on the world. Once you've learned to pilot an airplane yourself, you've come overcome the challenges of what it takes to learn to fly an airplane, which, you know, you don't have to be Superman to do it, but it does take a certain discipline. And when you work your way through that process, it changes you, at least a mark on you that is pretty incredible. And James Ray wanted to see that happen, which is the reason he's been so generous. His foundation has been so generous with our You Can Fly program.
1: Hey, guys and gals, do you want to participate in the James Ray Challenge with the AOPA? Let's help that next generation of aviators. Learning to fly does change you. I agree. Discipline and responsibility while achieving the dream, the passion, the freedom of flight, all good stuff. You know what else hits me, Tom? Giving back. It's our obligation and our great gift to be able to give back what you can, when you can. When we give back, we are successful. When we are able to help someone else achieve their dreams and their goals, we are successful. Tom Haynes, thank you so much for stopping by today on the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. We will be right back. For one more segment, I wrap all this up. Stay right there. David Costa, Renegade Aviator.
0: Suggestions or recommendations? Call the Renegade Aviator at 888 366 5256 anytime and leave us a message.
1: Alexa, where is my local airport?
0: Here are a few nearby ones 1. Reno Tahoe International Airport, 2. Reno State Airport, 3. Truckee Tahoe Airport, and 4. Carson City Airport. (laughs)
1: So simple, even Alexa can do it. Each and every week, I talk about showing up as the first step in any worthwhile venture. I meet so many people each week all over the world that light up when they hear what I do. Not because I'm so much cooler than you are, and here's my evidence of that. Alexa, who is David Costa, the renegade aviator?
0: Sorry, I'm not sure.
1: Damn. (laughs) People light up when they hear what I do because I light up when I tell people what I do. Whatever it is you want to do needs to light you up as well. If aviation lights you up, you need to go to AOPA.org or call my office 888-366-5256. There are people ready to help you. So I want to finish up my show where I started my show. Thank you for listening. Decide. Show up. Do something. No excuses. AOPA.org, their tagline is your freedom to fly. Do you understand how lucky you are? You live in America. You can fly. You think there's obstacles? You bet there are. Anything worthwhile doing has obstacles. It has risks and it has pain. Get over it. So make a decision. I want to fly good job now simply take action and here's the secret on how to do that show up get in your car get on your bike hitch up your dog sled if you have to and start your body moving toward the airport as often as possible but i just told you only part of the secret you can't just show up no 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 you have to do something you're now armed with secret access to all the information you need to get started in aviation, aopa.org. You can find out how to donate to support STEM education. You don't even need to like aviation to help kids get more involved in science, technology, engineering, and math. They're going to tell you how to find the right school closest to you. They're going to give you tons of free information. You just have to ask for it. And that's the secret. Ask, do, do and ask. There are people to help you, but you need to decide. Show up and ask. AOPA.org. David Costa, regardless of what Alexa said, I am the Renegade Aviator. See
0: ya.